Welcome everyone to this time of worship with Faith Christian Reformed Church in Elmhurst, Illinois. Our weekly bulletin continues to be online. Um, You can also call the church office and have it sent to your home every week. Uh, Please keep in mind that uh, our reopening team is scheduling what they're calling uh, a soft reopening this coming Thursday evening. You can make reservations, and you should if you're going to come, because we're capping out uh, the numbers to at 50. You can register starting uh, Wednesday before that Thursday, July 16, at 10 a.m. in two different ways. Uh, You could go to the website, uh, go to resources, then register, and then you'll find face-to-face again and you can register there, or starting at 10 a.m., you could leave a voicemail in the church office. Whether you register online or leave a voicemail, uh, the office will take your reservation and all the reservations in the order in which they come. Once you make your reservation, uh, you'll get uh, some instructions and details on the precautions the reopening team the church is taking as we meet, and, and what you'll, the precautions you'll be asked to take if you come. All of that information is also in the bulletin, okay, if you want to go back and look at it. Right now, um, Psalm 24 is going to call us into worship. Uh, please join along where it says, people. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. Praise the Lord. The Lord's name be praised. O magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt God's name together. We have gathered to praise our gracious God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. All right, that was not Psalm 24. That was a mistake, but it was a nice call to worship, I think. Receive God's greeting as we begin, okay? Grace to you and peace. Uh, from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ through the working of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to sing together in praise to our God as we begin worship together. Behold our God.
Right now, uh, we're going to read together, listen together uh, to a summary of God's law, a summary of the Ten Commandments. We want to listen to these because we know our God loves us and he wants what's best for us. And let's listen to the summary of what is best for us from God himself. What is the great and first commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What is the second commandment like it? Love your neighbor as yourself. What does this mean? Love is the fulfilling of the law. To what does this call us? To a life of faith working through love. Amen. Right now, um, one of our elders, Ted Vandernald, is going to uh, lead us in an offering update and in our morning prayer. Ted, thanks. Quick update on, on the offering. The deacons, again, would like to thank the congregation for their, their faithful and generous giving during these uh, difficult times. The deacons have not met in June, so the offering uh, is still based on uh, end of May there. And at the end of May was the fiscal year end, and uh, our church was had a shortfall of about uh, just over $50,000. And... Uh, at that time, too, our, our Timothy obligation was for the year 2019-2020 was about $20,000. Please keep this in, in your thoughts and your prayers as you uh, give to the church. Let's go to God in our prayer. Almighty God, as we come before you today, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we can rest assured in your love for us in your sovereignty, and in the fact that you chose us from the beginning. Lord, as your children, we want to be faithful to you in all that we do. However, oh, so many times we fall short of what you expect us to do, and we ask for your forgiveness. Lord, as we go through these difficult times, we ask that you would make your path clear to us, Guide and lead us as we go through our daily tasks. Make your way and your will for our lives clear for us. And Lord, during this strange time in the world today, may we be a shining light in our neighborhood for you. We pray this, Lord, not only for us as individuals, but we pray this for our church and our congregation as well. Make your way clear for Faith Church. Guide and direct us in all that we do. And may it be a glory to you, Lord. Lord, we pray at this time for our pastors and their families. As our church goes through a time of transition, we continue to pray for those in the church as well who need you in a special way. We think of Kathy DeVries, Judy Veltzma, Grace Laninga, and Lord, we continue to think too of the Glaubke family as they mourn the loss of a mother and a grandmother. Give them what they stand in need of at this time. Lord, we pray for members in our congregation who are struggling, some who have family members that 
may have walked away from the faith. Lord, we think of those too that have lost a spouse, a father, a mother, son, daughter, brother, sister. Whether this loss was just recent or many years, they still have hurt. And Lord, we pray that you would give them peace. Help us, Lord, as your children, to keep our eyes focused on you and the ultimate reward of eternal life with you. Help us not to worry about our rewards here on earth or to focus on building bigger barns. May we hear the words at the end of our days, well done, good and faithful servant. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Right now we're going to continue to worship by singing the song, O Lord of Hosts, how lovely. It's from Psalm 84, and this song speaks of longing uh, to gather with God's people again, like we hope to next week gather again physically here at Faith. Let's sing. offering is for the shoebox ministry which as many of you know uh, create gift boxes uh, for the underprivileged and in conjunction with that they deliver the gospel message as well 
Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for ministries such as Shoebox, who can use the resources that we've been blessed with to expand your word and your knowledge. And we just pray that you would bless this offering that we're about to receive as well. In your name I pray. Amen. We're going to profess what we believe uh, with the first question and answer of our catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, which summarizes uh, the rest of the catechism and really the Christian life in, in such a beautiful way, especially when living in hard times as believers, because it's talking about our comfort. Listen, you can read along with me in the answer if you'd like. What is your only comfort in life? and death, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. We're continuing in worship this morning now by going to God's word. Uh, the very end of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23 to the end of the chapter. And before we read, let's pray. Father, Thank you for this time of worship. Thank you for the blessing that it's been already. 
And now as we go to you, word, would it be a very special blessing to us, your people, uh, to everyone who's listening and, and watching. Father, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. Let's listen to God's holy and infallible word. 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning at verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. The Apostle Paul is concluding this letter with a warm farewell and a blessing. Um, and, And here we see Pastor Paul's final heartfelt desires for the flock in the church of Thessalonica. He planted this church. He continues to equip them and edify them and encourage them from afar. He's going to write them another letter, 2 Thessalonians, but but Pastor Paul is saying goodbye for now. And we all know that goodbyes can be hard, especially when you're saying goodbye to someone that you really love. And, And Paul loved this church. And they loved him. There's an Indian writer, really a poet, named Ridu Gaturi, who put it this way, Goodbyes make you think. They make you realize what you had, what you've lost, and what you've taken for granted. Dr. Seuss has a bit of wisdom about farewells, too. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. In this farewell of Paul, we see desires of every faithful pastor throughout the ages for their congregation. We see a pastor's prayer that God's peace would sanctify them completely, through and through. The Bible says we are born enemies of God because of sin, but that he brought us peace. Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus went to the cross so that we would no longer be enemies of God. About this peace, a very famous preacher uh, from a couple generations ago named Martin Lloyd-Jones once said, peace with God is what we need first. It's important to reflect on this because there is so much inadequate Christian teaching today proclaiming the blessings first to people. Come to Jesus. Don't worry about repentance. Do you want a friend, a buddy? Do you need help? Do you want happiness? Do you want prosperity? Do you want peace and joy? Do you want to be healed? Then come to Jesus. He goes on, the problem with this type of teaching is that it all starts with us and our needs. Jesus becomes the one who will satisfy those needs. He becomes like a baby's pacifier, meeting the child's temporary needs till it squawks again. But before we can have our needs met, we first have the need for peace with God. 
We can have no benefits from God until we have the benefit of peace with God first. With the peace of God first, we're saved, and then he makes us holy. Holy through and through, as we read here. That means every part of our life. He says body, soul, and spirit. Um, That's likely similar to how Deuteronomy puts it. With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Every part of you, through and through. There was a young man eager to grow in his Christian life, and, and what he did is he got a piece of paper, and, and he made a list of all the things he would do on it for God. All, all, the, all the ministry endeavors that he would go, all the places of ministry he would go to, far-flung places, and then he took that list and put it on the altar. He thought by doing that he would really feel a sense of joy, but he didn't. He just felt empty. And then so he went home and started adding to his list more things he would do for the Lord, things he wouldn't do. He took this now longer list, put it on the altar, but he still felt nothing. After that, he went to an older, wise pastor that he knew, told him about the situation, and he asked for help. And the pastor said, take a blank sheet of paper, sign your name at the bottom, and put that on the altar. And so the young man did that, and peace came to his heart. When we respond to God's grace in Jesus, when we come to the point of realizing that we've got nothing to offer but just bring ourselves with empty hands to the altar and to the foot of the cross. We're going to receive his peace through and through. We next see a pastor's confidence that God will keep them to the end. Along with the prayer that God would make them holy, through finding peace in the Son, he trusts that God will keep them holy until Jesus returns. And this is the spot in the passage in the chapter that talks about the coming of Jesus. Remember how every chapter ends with the reference to Jesus' second coming? This is it here. So Paul is assured of the perseverance of the saints, as we call it. He's not confident in that they will keep themselves. He's not confident that they'll be able to keep themselves, but he is confident that God will keep them. He'll preserve them until the very end. This pastor knows that the power comes from God alone for the church too. It's not man-made peace, but it's dependent on God and what he has done and what he'll continue to do. I love the certainty of that verse 24. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Who will do it? Will you do it? Will I do it? If only we try hard enough? No. The Bible says he will do it. God He's the faithful one. We are far from that. Jesus was faithful in our place, praise the Lord, and so because of his work, we will be kept. Philippians says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. 
The Westminster Confession of Faith, uh, it's like a sister catechism and confession to our own, like the Heidelberg Catechism and the Belgic Confession, puts it this way, talking about God keeping us. They whom God has accepted in his Jesus, called and sanctified by his Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from grace, but will certainly persevere in grace to the end and be eternally saved. What a comfort for those that we know whose lives seem to be wandering from the Lord. What a comfort for us uh, for the times that, that we wander. Friends, the one who called you is faithful. He will keep you. He will do it. We see also a pastor's need that the church pray for him. And this is verse 25. If, if you're following along in your Bibles, we're just moving right through the verses, by the way. Paul writes also, brothers, pray for us. And in that request for prayer, we see that he knows how much he needs the Lord too. It's not just the people of the church that need the peace and preservation of God, but the pastor does too right? And the other leaders. The great Apostle Paul, like any true pastor in history, humbly acknowledges that though he is in a place of leadership, he's dependent on God. A hundred percent. His need for prayer, like when we express our need for prayer, reveals how much he and we know we need God and it's just that we're totally dependent on him in our life. There, there was once a sign seen in this old textile mill. When your thread becomes tangled, call the foreman. There was a young woman who was new on the job, and her thread became tangled, and she thought, well, I'll just quick straighten this out myself. She tried, but the situation just got worse. And finally, she went to the foreman. I did the best I could, she said. And the foreman said, no, you didn't. To do the best, you should have called me. Paul knew that the best he could do for the church was to be praying for them, like he says a number of times in this letter. And he also knew that the best thing the congregation could do for him was to be praying to God for him and on his behalf. As a pastor, I, I've said often throughout the years how much I, I covet your prayers, people of faith. And I know that you pray for me even far beyond what I deserve. Far beyond what I deserve. And that is so humbling. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Next, and this is number four if you're counting, we see a pastor's appeal that they treat each other with Christian love. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. Clearly a pre-COVID-19 verse. Paul wasn't writing during a plague or pandemic, but even in normal times, right, this would be an odd thing for us to do. If we were French, it wouldn't be so odd. That's a normal type of greeting uh, giving each other a kiss in France and in other places in Europe, though I never got into that when I lived in the Netherlands, just couldn't do it. But the point is the communion of the saints, the fellowship of believers. 
Interesting that it's a holy kiss, and I think that's significant. Holy kiss, it's the same word as sanctify in verse 23, our first verse, that means holy. And so the point is that God brings his holiness into our lives, but that it's also a holiness from us to give to others. So it's about extending what God has given you through Jesus to one another in the church particularly. We do that with our words when, when we greet each other. Hi there, Bob. Nice to, nice to see you. But then we do a step beyond that is what this holy kiss implies with maybe a gesture. We, we, we do a step beyond just saying, hi, Bob. Good to see you. We, um, we, we add a gesture or something more to just the words. Our love for our brothers and sisters is more than just words. And then so we express that in our greeting to those in the church in whatever culturally appropriate way that is for the church of that day, right? So in a lot of, through, for many years, it's like a handshake or a, or a hug or a, or a fist bump or an elbow bump. I don't know how that goes. There's bro hugs, there's side hugs, right? Um, some cultures do a little bow, um, a smile, a warm smile. I don't know how that's going to look, honestly, as we move forward here with meeting physically. We'll have to see. But the point here is that the peace of God is for others in the church. We love each other. Peace contributes to the sanctification of the church. When a church is not at peace, not united, squabbling, what happens is that de-sanctifies the church. But in the unity of believers, the church will be built up. And that unity and peace is what Paul desires, and so does every pastor. And I know that's what the leaders of faith church want as well. Second to last, which means, yes, we've got another six-point sermon like a couple weeks ago, but we're moving right along. Second to last, we see a pastor's command that they faithfully listen to God's word. He writes, I charge you before the Lord. That charge is about the strongest verb, the strongest language he could use. And to say, I charge you, is to, I command you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and the sisters too, of course. What's the significance of that? Well, remember, this letter is God's word. This is the Apostle Paul. What he's writing here is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he was very aware of his apostleship, though not in a prideful way, but he was very aware that God was using him in a unique way in his life for the benefit of the church here and the other churches. We talk about the means of grace 
especially preaching the word and celebrating the sacraments. The church is to be faithful in that because those means are how God brings his people, how he brings his flock, his grace. Paul knew that, and so he gives them this command. I like the way I heard it put once. The Bible is meant to be bread for daily use, not a cake just for special occasions. Some of us, I say us, but uh, that has not been me yet, but any number of us, I'm sure, will be on boats on a lake this summer. In the book, Disciplines for the Christian Life, uh, we have this picture of God's Word, which I think is, is helpful. Um, if reading the Bible can be compared to cruising the width of a clear, sparkling lake in a boat, if that's reading the Bible, studying the Bible is like slowly crossing that same lake in a glass-bottomed boat. The boat crossing provides an overview of the lake and swift passing views of its depths, but the glass-bottom boat of study takes you beneath the surface of the Scriptures for an unhurried look of clarity and detail normally missed by those who are just reading the text but not studying it. And author Jerry Bridges puts it this way, reading gives us breadth, but study gives us depth. And of course, the faithful proclamation of the Word in the church brings us there as believers with the steady diet of the bread of life week by week. That's God's design for us. Finally, we see a pastor's blessing with the grace of Jesus. A pastor's blessing with the grace of the Lord Jesus. This conclusion, this is the last verse, um, John Stott says is basically Pastor Paul's signature. Talking about grace. It's the start and end of everything for Paul. It's the start and end of his theology. Um, the starting and ending of this book and really all his letters. It's what salvation is all about. It's the mission of the church. It's our call towards others. It's the heart of the ministry and personality of every faithful pastor and every faithful leader in God's church and of every faithful believer's life, period. It's not what we have done, but what God has done. All the rest of the verses we read are about this grace. The peace of God that sanctifies us through and through is by grace alone being kept in that peace and made blameless until Jesus' return. It's all God's grace. Paul is asking for prayer from the congregation. He knows he needs grace. Treating one another with love in the church, we fail in that in our own strength, but we can do it by God's grace. Listening to God's word, that's the primary way he gives us his grace. You look at the world today, and you look at our nation, and I'm going to be so bold as to suggest that the problems boil down to this. 
There's no grace. No grace. We're in conflict with one another. We are so easily angered. Our temperatures hit a boiling point within a matter of seconds, whether it's with our leaders hearing this or that social, political view, and even it can happen with each other in personal interactions. We take offense so quickly. We, we take offense so easily. We complain. We criticize so much. Where is God's grace in our lives? There's an author, Juan Carlos Ortiz, who once described grace and, and how it works in the Christian's life this way that I found really helpful. He says, watching a trapeze show is breathtaking. We wonder at the dexterity, the timing. We gasp at the near misses. In most cases, there's a net underneath, and when they fall, they jump up and bounce back to the trapeze. In Christ, we live on the trapeze. The whole world should be able to watch and say, and see us, and say, look how they live. This is you and me, right? The church, believers. Look how they live. Look how they love one another. Look how well the husbands treat their wives. And aren't they the best workers wherever they are, in, in factories, doing research, in offices, the best neighbors, the best students, the best teammates? Aren't they the most forgiving of people when they're wrong? Aren't they such peacemakers in society and on Facebook don't they show so much patience and love these days instead of anger and fear like everybody else in this pandemic? And don't they show such concern, these Christians, for the weak and the vulnerable and, and, and such steadiness in their Jesus who they know is on the throne in the midst of whatever president whatever governor is in charge in the day. That is to live on the trapeze, being a show to the world. And what happens when we slip? Well, the net is surely there. It's always there. It's the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ that has provided forgiveness for all our trespasses. Both the net and the ability to stay on the trapeze are works of God's grace. And so, with Paul, my ultimate prayer for you, for the congregation, for this congregation, is that you receive and live in God's grace. That we continue to be built up in God's grace week by week, worship service by worship service. In every Bible study and small group, every meeting, from the nurseries to the Sunday school, to the youth groups, to serving those in need, grace for those who have blown it, realizing that we have all blown it. Grace in our hearts, grace in our thoughts, grace in our words, grace in our actions towards people of every color and tribe and tongue, grace for the rich, grace for the poor, grace towards the powerful, grace towards the helpless. What does our crazy, seemingly disintegrating society need more than anything else. It's what only our faith in Jesus Christ 
can provide grace. We have the solution. We have the answer. What will we do with it? What will you do with it? Friends, brothers, and sisters, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I'd like to um, close with a, a couple verses that you can gladly sing with me um, about, about God's grace, okay? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the Son of the Lamb was spilled. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, Grace that is greater than all our sin. Let's pray. Father, plant your word, plant your grace deep in our hearts and in this congregation. And may we bear much fruit through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing together of the faith and, and grace of Jesus. All the verses of I know whom I have believed. Let's sing.
God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Go in love and peace to serve the Lord.